For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Bolliou. There is a common belief that salespeople are motivated solely by money. Lisa McLeod will tell you that it's more myth than reality. The noted sales strategist, speaker, and author has found that top sales performers also have a deep sense of purpose, and they care about improving the lives of their customers. Moreover, her research reveals that salespeople who sold with what she calls noble purpose consistently outsold the salespeople who are focused on sales goals and money. Joining me today is Lisa McLeod, author of Selling with Noble Purpose, and leading with noble purpose. She works with senior executives and sales teams around the world to help companies accelerate growth. She's here to discuss the rise of the purpose movement, her latest book, storytelling, and much more. Lisa, welcome to Your Own Profit. Well, it's such a pleasure to be with you. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Before we dive into your book, I want to just take a step back and look at 2020 specifically. Despite all the craziness of the past year, one of the pauses that came out was that companies seem to be placing more of an emphasis on being purposeful. So my question to you is, do you feel that 2020 was an inflection point in the purpose movement, or do you feel that there's still a ways to go? It was definitely an inflection point, because I think what we're seeing evidence of is two things. Customers are asking, are you really here to help me, or are you just trying to sell me? And employees are asking, why am I here, and does my work really matter? And I think if you, in 2020, if you were still in a purely transactional shareholder primacy, our only purpose is to make money, your motives were clearly revealed. And having said that, people are complex, organizations are complex. Wanting to make a difference and wanting to make money at the same time are not in conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. But if you were just only in it for yourself in 2020 or only in it for your stock price in 2020, your customers don't want to have anything to do and people don't want to work for you. Right. So, and that leads to the the question that once the pandemic is behind them in particular, are you concerned about companies maybe falling back to their old ways of doing business, you know, sacrificing purpose, purpose for profit? So on the one hand, yes, I'm concerned about it. On the other hand, we have a level of transparency that you can't go back to. It's kind of like once you discover good shoes, you may wear a crummy pair of shoes again, but you know the difference. And customers and employees now know the difference. I was uh, poring over an issue of Ad Age recently, and the author had suggested that there's no need for the marketing industry to remind companies to act with purpose because, well, they get it. So do you buy that? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, the original purpose movement began with, you know, nonprofits and going back through the ages. Aristotle talked about purpose. But the purpose movement became more mainstream in companies through marketing because marketers know you got to move hearts and minds. But while, with all deference to ad age, while the writer was saying you don't need to remind companies to operate with purpose, I beg to differ. And I beg, I beg to differ for two reasons. Number one is you might not have to remind them to market their purpose, but you do need to remind them to put it at the center of the organization. Mm-hmm. As someone who works with sales teams, sales teams need a continual reminder. This is about the customer. This mm-hmm. is about making a difference to the customer. And the reasons, so I said two reasons. One, because I see what's clear and present in sales teams. And the other reason that we need to continually remind companies is for the same reason that we need to be continually reminded to love our spouse more or to be a better parent. Because it's freaking hard. Sure. And it takes you outside <laughs> of yourself. And I need all the help I can get to be better at those things every single day. So, Lisa, you mentioned the importance of placing purpose 
at the center of the organization. Easier said than done. Why is that such a challenge? Well, it's a challenge for a couple of reasons. Number one, a lot of people don't get specific enough about their purpose. Mm -hmm. From where I sit in our practice, when we work with senior leaders, your purpose is very simply, how do you make a difference to customers? Which is a completely different thing from saying, we want to be the number one provider of end-to-end services. Your purpose should be a clear articulation of the impact that you are having on customers. And it goes beyond being Mm customer-driven, because when we went to that customer-centricity model, which is certainly better than not being customer-centric, it was often like the customer was, it was about pleasing customers. In the traditional sense, customer centricity is often about pleasing customers. Noble purpose is about improving customers. And those are two really different things because if you're trying to please a customer, you know, I, the customer can say, I want this, I want that, I want a lower price, I want better terms, I want a better widget. But if you're, it doesn't typically drive innovation. You become reactionary oftentimes. But if you're focused on customer impact, which is about improving customers, then your whole team is saying, what are the issues our customers are facing and how might we help them, improve them? And it's challenging to do that because it is a quirk of human nature to look at ourselves versus even though we want to make a difference to others, it requires constant vigilance to point our lens outward. So again, looking at 2020, would you say that companies were improving their customers? Is that why you feel it was an inflection point? Yeah, I think it was because, and you know, as we saw with sales teams, if you just went out there and tried to hustle up a bunch of business, customers were not having it. And in a lot of industries, like we do a lot of work in the medical industry where there were sales reps that used to go in person to see customers in the financial world and other places. So customers had a real, in a B2B space, customers had a really easy way to say no salespeople because we were all in lockdown. So if you're not there to actually help them, they have no need to see you. You can't do like the drive-bys like you used right. And so it really forced a lot of sales teams to get laser like focused on how are we helping customers. And the other thing is, you know, most companies I believe are run by good people who want to do the right thing. And they also became acutely aware of what a challenging time it was for their employees. So companies that maybe before 2020 gave well-intended lip service to wanting to be a good employer were really called upon to say, what does that mean right now? And they had a deeper conversation about it. Let's dive into your book here for a bit, Selling with Noble Purpose. You argue that purpose and profit, profit are linked. You can have both. How do you convince sales organizations that for years have been quota-driven and making money off customers to act with purpose? Well, first thing, the data doesn't lie. And usually, this is more a matter of ordering than it is an either-or proposition. But what I usually ask sales execs when I say, but I want my people to focus on quota, is I say there are two salespeople in the lobby waiting to talk to you, waiting to sell you, Mr. Sales Exec. One wants to hit their number, the other wants to improve your life. Which one are you going to see? So have you seen, you know, a big sea change in terms of salespeople becoming more purposeful or do you still think there's a ways to go? So first of all, our research says the top salespeople who truly want to make a difference to customers, there's lots of them out there already and they are the top performers in their organization. Sales is one of the few professions where we let the people who do it badly define the profession. And it's an odd thing with the people who are the hustlers, who don't listen, who don't care about customers. They're not the norm. Mm-hmm. We've just allowed that stereotype to define the profession. But where we actually have a ways to go 
is in marrying the two things. We've got a situation where, especially people who have been hard hit by the pandemic, people who are behind on their numbers, who have very aggressive sales targets, it's going to be really tempting for them to double down on a numbers narrative. And what I would caution them is to say, you will do that at your own peril. Yes, you need to make money, but you've got to keep a story alive inside your organization about how you make a difference to customers. And that needs to drive the urgency of your company. And, you know, people are complex. I started in sales because I wanted to make good money. I still want to make good money. Sure. We don't silo our motivation. But when leaders can say, look, here's how we make a difference to customers. Our noble purpose is to put a dent in this industry and improve life for our customers. And when we do it well, we will make more money. When you can do that, you become a top-tier organization. So the ANA conducted a study, this was uh, last year, with Carol Cohn on purpose mm-hmm. in the Harris Poll. And one of the interesting nuggets to come out of that was that 73% of B2B companies embrace purpose because it motivates sales teams. But those sales, same sales teams say purpose is not effective in opening doors to newer customers and generating leads. Is this what your research is also telling you? So I want to go underneath that. I was reading that and I have a hunch about why they're saying that. I'd love to hear. And oftentimes when organizations are saying, well, the purpose doesn't really work to get customers excited, generally because they're trying to message their purpose instead of activate it. So I'll give you an example. Uh, A bank that we work with, Atlantic Capital Bank, we started a purpose project with them about three years ago. And their purpose was We Fuel Prosperity, and which is a great purpose. You can go out to your existing customers and say, we're all about fueling prosperity. Let's talk about what prosperity means to you. Let's talk about what that looks like and how we can do this for you. It's a commercial bank. And it was really successful. But if I started during ads saying We Fuel Prosperity, no new customer is going to go, oh, sign me up for that, because it's just going to sound like every other bank. But what they did do was they... We did a deep dive with them around which customers could we help the most? How could we do that? What products do we need for them? What does prosperity look like for them? And how could we approach them in a way where they would, we would be differentiated from other banks, other salespeople who work for commercial banks? And so we really spent time on looking at what does this look like action versus just the messaging. And they ended up growing their earnings by 40%. They were voted the best place to work by their employees. And the CEO was on the cover of American Banker because of the turnaround. And it's not because they went and flashed these ads with their purpose. It was because they became a different kind of sales force. That's where I think that's what that research, when they say, no, it's not really helpful for new clients. I think it's because they haven't made the behavioral change and the mindset change that enables them to go after new clients in a different So picking up on that, you know, messaging versus activation, that's a challenge that we hear from our members all the time. You know, I'm assuming that it's the same that you're hearing with clients that you're working with. Mm -hmm. This one, they tend to call us. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of the difference between, I have a friend who's a parenting expert, and it's kind of the difference between saying, I really want to be a great parent and I love my children dearly Mm -hmm. versus what do I do every day? to recognize in our consulting practice that we're how people. And so when people have an aspirational purpose and they want to activate it behaviorally in their sales team, with their customer service team, in their decision making, it's a simple concept. It's not easy. It's doable. You know, we've got like a punch list of like 20 
25 things you can do and they will move the needle. But it's not as easy as just magic wanding and saying, we have purpose now. Now, is that because perhaps there's not buying across the organization or at least from the top? Sometimes that's the case. But often, as I said, I think companies are filled with really good people. The gentleman who I mentioned, the CEO of Atlantic Capital Bank, his name is Doug Williams, and he's been very public about this. He said, this isn't how I was trained. I was trained in the numbers. And he said something really profound. He said, what I've learned through this process is I need to manage to the numbers, but lead to the noble purpose. And I thought that was really profound because I think the reason why companies find it challenging is because numbers are quantitative and they cascade down very easily. And a feeling that we have this noble purpose, that we have this cause bigger than ourselves, that it's more qualitative, that is harder to cascade down. You have to be super intentional because the default will always be to the numbers. And so I I think the reason that it's hard for people is not because they don't buy in at the top. I think they often do buy in at the top, but they don't see a clear way to make it an organizing principle of your of the business. And it's, and it's really about taking the soul of the business and bringing it to life at every level. Lisa, you're a huge fan of storytelling and the sales narrative. My question to you is, how does a company's purpose frame those stories? That is one of the key ways that you activate a purpose all the way down through a company. And so in business, we tend to have two kinds of stories that we tell a lot. One is a win story. We close the deal. It's $2 million. The sellers are heroes. Woohoo! And those are great stories. Or we have a use case story, which is the customer bought this solution. Here's how they're using it. Here's all the bells and whistles. And that's really helpful for people to understand how customers are using their product. But there's a kind of story that's often missing, and it's this third kind of story. And it's what we call a customer impact story, which is not about the size of your deal, it's not about the product, but it's about what happened to the customer. And unlike the standard value prop, a customer impact story is specific about an individual customer, and it includes some emotional details. It's like how Atlantic Capital Bank helped a second-generation American open up a series of restaurants and keep them open during the pandemic. Like, that's the kind of story that moves hearts and minds, and it's not about, well, we refinanced, blah, 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 we did this. It's about, like, look at what he is doing in his community and with his family, and we're part of that. And so making some time for that storytelling and being really intentional about it is how you build a purpose-driven culture. If you think about all the great religions mm-hmm. have a book of stories, and you go to church or temple or whatever you go to, and they tell you stories about people who face triumphs and challenges and what they did, and that's what gets hard-coded in your brain. Because the human mind, when you tell a story about individual people versus the customer as an abstraction, we tell a story about individual people. And Susan, who worked at our customer, in accounting, one day she came in, and after her whole system had been implemented, she opened her screen and everything worked and she practically left and she went home on time to her family. (laughs) Like those kinds of stories, they lay in an imprint in people's brains that they can plow during times of challenge, during times of stress. And so you've got to have the storytelling if you want to create a culture that stands for something. Well, you know, obviously the Atlantic Capital Bank is a great story. Do you mind, Lisa, maybe sharing another example or two of how some of your clients are driving purpose? someone who is having a really challenging time right now. And I wrote a Forbes piece about them. So 
Hilton, their purpose is to fill the earth with the light and warmth of hospitality. And I'm not sharing anything that's not out there. You can imagine their business has been pretty hard hit. But this idea of doubling down on the light and warmth of hospitality and what can we do to extend that to the world right now, it's helping them steer their ship through this time. I'll give you another example. We work with a plumbing company and they do uh, wholesale and retail and their business has actually done really really well because if you ever thought about remodeling your kitchen you're doing it now <laughs> so their business has done really well but their purpose is all about creative solutions for comfortable living mm-hmm. and so they've used their purpose to accelerate growth and so you you look at these three different entities a bank a plumbing company a large hotel chain and they are all three laser like focused on how they make a difference to customers and it helps them navigate in one case a really challenging time when their industry was hard hit and you mark my words they will come out stronger and it's helped the plumbing company i mean their business has gone through the roof and their people are on fire and they're working double time and so it really it gives you something to tether yourself to that's real and concrete and it's bigger than yourself what do these purposeful companies like the ones you're describing have in common nothing to do with the industry. One thing they have is they usually start as a pretty customer-driven company to begin with, and they usually have a history of that. The other thing is they have leaders at the top who are intentional, who know that how people think and feel of the way they behave. And the third thing that they have in common is they're willing to take the time to get specific around. If we feel prosperity is what we're landing on, what does that look like in customer service? What does that look like in the call center? What does that look like in the loan approval process? And so they're willing to look at their business through a lens and make usually not grand sweeping changes, but make incremental change. Lastly, Lisa, what advice do you have for companies that um, are still struggling with the whole measurement piece of purpose? Should there be a standard measurement? Because I think right now companies are using a lot of different ways. What's your thought on that? So we are emerging to a series of metrics, but my thought would be don't wait until it's perfect. So the first thing you need to do is articulate your purpose, and that is How do you make a difference to customers? We had an IT company, and theirs was, we help make small businesses more successful. Like, it doesn't have to be the most poetic language in the world. They they drove 10x growth with that. And I just read a piece for Harvard Business Review about metrics in purpose. And the advice that I gave in that piece was just pick one thing. You don't have to reinvent the world. You've already got plenty of metrics. Just pick one thing, and it doesn't even need to be a perfect metric. And I'll give you the two examples I gave in the piece. One was Atlantic Capital Bank that I mentioned. Their metric, and it's an imperfect metric, but their metric is how many referrals are we getting? How often are our clients referring us to other people? They don't get comped on it, so nobody's gaming the system. Nobody, one person gets credit versus another, but they track it. The COO will tell you it's an imperfect number, but it is an indicator of how are we living our purpose. Another example, an even more anecdotal one, Data Investors is a client of ours, and their purpose for their corporate sales team was we champion laugh out loud fun. So they make a point when they're having a corporate event, you know, some plumbing company goes as their corporate event at Data Investors. They walk around, they see people, how many people are laughing out loud. Like literally, it was that simple. <laughs> That's a great one. indicator. So look and see if you can get some leading indicators. They're less perfect. 
they're qualitative, but just pick one thing to measure. That alone will point your team in the direction of a purpose. Would you also agree that employee retention is a key metric as well? It is a huge metric. But I tell you what's happening now, talk about imperfect metrics. Not too many people are going to quit during a pandemic. But what's happening right now, if your employees don't find meaning and purpose in their work, they're not going to quit. They're going to do worse. They're going to quit and stay. <laughs> they're going to quit carry and quit going the extra right, mile right. and quit putting forth any exponential effort. Yeah. But they'll stay on your payroll. And so the metric that you want to be measuring is not just retention, but what level of meaning and purpose do people find in their job. And you can do that through very simple employee survey. Well, that's terrific. Thanks for all the advice today, Lisa. I really enjoyed our conversation. And I certainly wish you all the best of luck this year. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. To learn more about Lisa's firm, visit mcleodandmore.com. That's mcleod, M-C-L-E-O-D, and more.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.